Welcome back to the third season of Fisher Link, a podcast presented by Fisher Inc. Magazine for the Fisher call to business to highlight stories in and around Ohio State that you may not have heard about. My name is Grant Powelson, and I am the Vice President of Podcasts for Fisher Inc. This episode, I'll be offering financial advice for college-age students to help navigate your 20s, which is the theme of our 2020 yearbook issue for Fisher Inc. Magazine. If you haven't already, check out the latest issue at fisherincmag.com. Now, there seem to be so many different ways to invest your money these days that it can be overwhelming and may even discourage you from investing. However, I'll do my best to cover the most common and practical ones for those college-age investors. I must also state that I am not a financial advisor and that this podcast is for educational purposes only, so you should still do your own research on these topics. But I will note that when it comes to investment knowledge, I do own AirPods and therefore speak the language of the rich. First of all, you should only invest money that you can live without. Although it's unlikely that you will lose all of it or even most of it, you should be willing to part with it for some time in order to get the best returns. Because as we all know, time is money. All forms of investments come with different levels of risk and corresponding rates of return. A good rule of thumb is that the riskier the investment, the greater the return. Assuming the risk pays off, of course. You should keep track of all investments you make, Microsoft Excel is good for this, and make a budget beforehand so you know how much you're able to contribute. An app I use that helps me keep track of my investments and banking details is Mint. Mint is totally free and you can link your banks and brokerages to it to calculate your net worth and monitor everything from one place. It also tells you your credit score. Also, you should consider the amount of work and research you want to put into your investments. If you are a person who is knowledgeable about the stock market, does lots of research, and enjoys finding the next best company to invest in, then you want a hands-on method of investing, which you will manage and keep track of personally. Hands-on investors regularly monitor and rebalance their investment portfolio. They also understand how to create a portfolio that maximizes tax benefits and shifts levels of risk as they near retirement. Some options for hands-on investing include self-directed retirement accounts and discount brokerage firms. On the other hand, if you just want to put your money somewhere, watch it grow, and not have to worry about it again until you need it, then a hands-off method of investing is for you. Hands-off investors are more likely to seek out pre-mixed asset allocation portfolios. Asset allocation involves dividing an investment portfolio among different asset categories such as stocks, bonds, and cash with a mix appropriate for your risk tolerance and goals. Conventional wisdom suggests you should make your portfolio more conservative as you get older, lowering your allocation to riskier stocks and replacing them with safer bonds. These premixed portfolios rely on professional guidance from a financial advisor or robo-advisor to create your investment portfolio strategy and automatically rebalance it for you. A robo-advisor acts as a computerized financial advisor and determines your asset allocation using an algorithm. Options for hands-off investing include target date retirement funds, asset allocation funds, professionally managed portfolios, online investment platforms, and passively managed index mutual funds. Since hands-off investing is made simple for you by technology and financial institutions, this almost always comes with a price tag in the form of expense ratios for mutual funds, annual fees, maintenance fees, and advisory fees, which are often expressed as a percentage of your assets. These percentages can seem deceptively small, and you may not even be aware of them until they have already bitten into a chunk of your money. While the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, or the SEC, plays a valuable role in safeguarding and clarifying these costs to investors, the best defense against excessive or unwarranted fees is doing careful research and asking plenty of questions. Taking the time to understand what you're paying is critical because fees, over the long term, rob investors of their wealth. Now that we've covered some basic strategies for investing, let's talk about the types of investments you can make. 
First, there is of course the stock market. A stock represents partial ownership in a corporation, which entitles you to a portion of their earnings and assets. You can buy and sell these shares in the stock market. Some things to note, however, most shareholders have no direct control over a company's operations, and being a shareholder does not mean that you're entitled to discounts or can seize assets and property at will. The term stock market often refers to one of the major stock market indexes, such as the Dow Jones Industrial Average or the S&P 500. Because it's hard to track every single stock, these indexes include a section of the stock market and their performance is viewed as representative of the entire market. Some stocks offer dividend payments to their shareholders, which come as a percentage of the stock price, which is set by the company, that flow back to shareholders as cash that can be reinvested or withdrawn. Many stock brokerages offer drip investing, or a dividend reinvestment program, which automatically reinvests their dividend payments into fractional shares of that same stock. Fractional shares are a fraction of a share that can be purchased for any dollar amount, and are especially useful for expensive stocks like Amazon, which can cost you well over $2,000 per share. Fractional shares are a relatively new concept, first made mainstream in 2019 when interactive brokers became the first of the major online brokers to offer trading of them. It is now offered by large brokerages like Fidelity for equities and ETFs, and relatively new brokerages as well, like M1 Finance, which is totally free. A broker acts as the middleman between you and the stock exchanges. There are many free stock brokerages that are very popular among millennials and Gen Z, such as Robinhood, M1 Finance, and Webull. Robinhood was the earliest of the brokers to offer free trades, and is what I use personally to buy and sell stocks, so I highly recommend it. And they'll even give you a free stock when you sign up. But if you prefer a more reputable brokerage with a longer track record, then check out Charles Schwab, E-Trade, Fidelity, or Vanguard. There is a common misconception that you should only invest in the stock market when you have thousands of dollars, but that's simply not the case anymore, and these free stock brokers make it easy for investors who are just starting out. The key is to get started early, buy at a low price, and hold for the long term. For those who may not be as comfortable with the riskiness of the stock market, there are many options for you as well. For starters, many banks offer high yield savings accounts with competitive rates, usually around 2% APY or annual percentage yield, that you can easily deposit money into and take out and is a far better place to store your money than a traditional savings account, which offer interest rates so low that you might as well keep your money stuffed under a mattress. Just kidding though, please don't do that. <laughs> Next, you can store your money in a CD or a certificate of deposit, which are also offered by most banks and offer a fixed interest rate for various durations. So for those of you who received a refund from Ohio State recently, a three months term CD could be a good option for you. Although while this is a safe option and guarantees a return, there are some drawbacks. The interest paid on the CD depends on the length of the term and the amount of the deposit, usually paying a higher rate the longer the term and the greater the deposit. The average rate is usually between 1 and 2%. Also, during the term of your CD, if you want to withdraw your money, you'll be charged a penalty fee, which varies with the duration of the CD, but is usually around $10 or $20. Another thing, which isn't so much investment advice as it is life advice, be on the lookout for promotions offered by banks. Many will pay a few hundred dollars just for signing up for an account and depositing a minimum amount of money within the first couple of months and leaving it in there. But again, be sure to read the fine print and beware of fees. To name a few with active promotions, TD Bank, Chase, and HSBC are offering hundreds of dollars to sign up for a checking and make qualifying deposits. Next, bonds are fixed income instruments that represent a loan made by an investor to a borrower, typically corporate or governmental, to be paid back at a certain date with a fixed or variable interest rate. The interest rates on variable bonds generally reset daily, weekly, or monthly. 
These variable bonds are issued for long-term financing with maturities ranging from 20 to 30 years, while fixed interest bonds usually have a much shorter duration. Bonds are used by companies, municipalities, states, and governments to finance projects and operations. Bond prices are inversely related to interest rates, that is, when rates go up, bond prices fall and vice versa. But this is because if new bonds are issued with a higher interest rate than those currently on the market, the price of existing bonds will decline as demand for those bonds falls. Bonds often offer a higher interest rate, typically ranging from 3-7%, to depending on the level of risk. Treasury securities, for example, bills, notes, bonds, and tips, treasury inflation-protected securities, are offered by the United States Treasury and are fixed income investments, usually with pretty low rates. They're backed by the full faith and credit of the United States government and are risk-free. You buy these through the Department of the Treasury's website through Treasury Direct. Corporate bonds, however, tend to carry a higher level of risk than government bonds, but are generally associated with a higher potential yield. The value and risk associated with corporate bonds depend in large part on the financial outlook and reputation of the company issuing the bond. If you're looking to buy some bonds with a good yield, I recommend using Worthy Bonds, which allows you to buy bonds for as low as $10 with a 5% interest rate over 3 years, which can be withdrawn at any time with no penalty. But keep in mind that Worthy Bonds aren't FDIC insured or risk free, which means you could lose money. A mutual fund is a professionally managed fund that trades in a variety of investment securities, including stocks and bonds. Mutual funds are operated by professional money managers who allocate the fund's assets and attempt to produce capital gains or income for the fund's investors. Mutual funds give small or individual investors access to diversified, professionally managed portfolios at a low price. Mutual funds are divided into several kinds of categories, representing the kinds of securities they invest in, their investment objectives, and the type of returns they seek. The value of the mutual fund company depends on the performance of the securities it decides to buy. So when you buy a unit or share of a mutual fund, you're buying the performance of its portfolio, or more precisely, a part of the portfolio's value. Income is earned from dividends on stocks and interest on bonds held in the fund's portfolio. A fund pays out nearly all the income it receives over the year to fund owners in the form of a distribution. Funds often give investors a choice either to receive a check for distributions or to reinvest the earnings and get more shares. If the fund sells securities that have increased in price, the fund has a capital gain. Most funds also pass on these gains to investors in a distribution. If fund holdings increase in price but are not sold by the fund manager, the fund's shares increase in price. You can then sell your mutual fund shares for a profit in the market. Mutual funds are beneficial for hands-off investors since they offer professional management, diversification of assets, and liquidity, but they can be costly due to expense ratios and management fees. Types of mutual funds include money market funds, equity funds, balanced funds, fixed income, and target date funds. An ETF, exchange traded fund, is like a mutual fund except it is itself traded on the market as one entity and often has lower fees, whereas mutual funds are bought from and sold to the company that operates them. Most mutual funds are part of a much larger investment company. The biggest have hundreds of separate mutual funds. Some of these fund companies include Fidelity Investments, the Vanguard Group, and Oppenheimer Funds. For more information on the different types of mutual funds, Morningstar is a great resource to use. Lastly, I'm going to talk about the R word. Yeah, I'm going to say it. Retirement. It may seem as though it's decades away and much further in the future than anyone wants to worry about right now, but the sooner you start preparing for it, the easier it will be to retire comfortably. 
With a Roth IRA, individual retirement account, a variety of investment options exist, including mutual funds, stocks, bonds, ETFs, CDs, and money market funds. Anyone over the age of 18 can make contributions to a Roth IRA, and after five years, you can withdraw any contributions you've made tax-free for whatever reason. But the gains you make on your contributions can only be withdrawn penalty-free when you're 59 and a half. Depending on your preference of hands-off or hands-on, the account is adjusted for risk over time, either by a financial advisor, a robo-advisor, or by you, to be withdrawn upon retirement tax-free. If you're young, your earnings have decades to compound, and with a Roth, you owe zero taxes on all that money when you withdraw it at retirement. Suppose you're 23 years old, making $60,000 a year, and you make the maximum contribution of $6,000 a year, which is just 10% of your income, for 40 years to your Roth IRA, without withdrawing anything. By the age of 63, you will have $1.6 million in your account that you can withdraw. With the traditional IRA, you will owe taxes on the amount you withdraw at retirement at your current tax rate. So if you think you'll be in a higher tax bracket at retirement than you are right now, which is likely the case, then a Roth IRA is for you. For hands-on investors, TD Ameritrade, Fidelity, and Merrill Edge are some of the top providers for fee-free Roth IRAs. But for hands-off investors who would like to have their funds managed, I recommend Betterment, which has a 0.25% management fee and one year of free management for new accounts. So for some closing advice, start building your credit because having a good credit score just makes life easier, but avoid credit card debt. Watch out for fees, they're all over the place, and most importantly, be patient with your investments. It's cheesy, but good things take time. Thank you for listening, and I look forward to being in your ear once again on the next season of Fisher Link. That's it for this season of Fisher Link. Fisher Link is presented by Fisher Inc., the student-run magazine for the Fisher College of Business. I'm Grant Powelson, the Vice President of Podcast for Fisher Link, and I would like to thank Lily Wong, the President of Fisher Inc., for making this podcast possible. If you enjoyed listening, please leave a review, check out our past episodes, and be sure to follow us on Instagram at Fisher Inc. Mag for updates on future episodes. Fisher Link is available on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and on FisherInkMag.com where you can stay informed in all things Fisher. Thanks so much for listening, and go Bucks!